Hello once again from Paul and Rachel. Here we are again. And it's December the 8th and we're here again with uh, Here Comes Christmas. Now, we are now eight days into our little project, which takes us a third of the way towards Christmas. Will we keep going, do you think? Is there enough to talk about with Christmas? Oh, we can always keep talking, can't we? (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly rubbish, isn't it? (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. A lot of our stuff has tenuous connections with Christmas anyway, doesn't it? But anyway, we are (laughs) raring to go. And uh, December the 8th. So what is significant about December the 8th, Rachel? Well, I was thinking about where we live and how we're about 14 miles south of Bristol in the southwest of England. And Bristol seems to have been in the news quite a lot over the last few months. Quite a bit of Bristol was named after a chap called Edward Colston, who was around in the late 1600s, beginning of the 1700s. On the one hand, he was an incredible philanthropist. And up until very recently, we had the Colston Hall in Bristol. We had Colston's Girls' School. um, And he gave enormously to the city. But there was a dark side to him. Yes, there was a huge dark side to him. And he made his money really from being bringing slaves into this country. He was big in the slave trade, which was a huge thing around 17th century. Well, for, for hundreds of years, the slave trade went on for 400 years. And we think of it being a tiny little episode within our history, but it wasn't. It was sustained and it was truly dreadful. And I find it quite incredible to go along the portway in Bristol and you go along the side of the river, the Bristol Channel, as it comes up into Bristol Harbour. And that goes on for, what, three, four miles, mm-hmm. I would say. And to think about these ships coming from the West Indies and from Africa as well, but mostly from the West Indies, bringing the slaves and just thinking how how appalling. And so just in these last few months really the whole black lives matter issue has become such a thing that so many people have protested about colston's name being bandied about in bristol in fact his statue was torn down wasn't it Mm -hmm. just a a few months ago and thrown into the river and it's, it's still a big controversy so the colston hall which was bristol's big concert hall and quite a nice hall uh, has now been renamed as it is being reopened after uh, a lot of renovation so what's the concert hall going to be called it's going to be called the bristol beacon so therefore looking forward a light shining a beacon to the future absolutely absolutely Why are we talking about Bristol? Well, because on this day in 1864, the wonderful, incredible suspension bridge was opened. Right. I know. Built by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. There's a name to conjure with. If you were going to make a success of your life, you'd want a name like Isambard or Isambard or whatever it is, Bard, Kingdom Brunel, wouldn't you? (laughs) The Bard. The Bard. Yes, it's quite an incredible He's name. another man with uh, many links around the, the city, isn't he? He's got pubs named after him as well as bridges. Yes, he has, but but he was a solid sort of chap, wasn't he? Then he also 
had a big hand in development of the railways. Yes, he did. He um, built lighthouses. He mm. built um, ships. So I'll tell you a Christmas-related link okay. to Eisenbard, Kingdom, Brunel. Then. So he died, unfortunately, in his mid-50s, um, and he had a period of illness. And another great engineer of the time was Robert Stevenson, who was the son of George Stevenson, the inventor of one of the first steam engines that actually pulled uh, a train on, on tracks. So Robert Stevenson and... Eisenberg, Kingdom Brunel, although they were rivals in some ways, they were also great pals. They both became a bit poorly, a bit ill at the same time, and they were recommended by their doctors quite independently to take a break in Cairo. And they actually spent the last Christmas of their lives uh, dining together on Christmas Day in Cairo. What, they both died on Christmas Day? No, they're dining together. Oh, dining, right. Okay. Not dining together. <laughs> Yes. So he was a good chap, wasn't he? He was a splendid chap. Yes, yes. We we would have liked uh, (laughs) him. In 1980, today, John Lennon got shot dead. Mm. That was a sad day, wasn't it? Indeed. Yes. So he was born in 1940. He died in 1980. And here we are in 2020, still thinking about him. So how much... How different would the world have been if John Lennon had kept on composing and Isambard Kingdom Brunel had carried on building his wonderful developments in engineering? Mm, I don't know. So those two men have really achieved huge amounts in relatively short lifespans, haven't Mm -hmm. they? And particularly John Lennon, he succeeded by defying the odds. He wasn't born into a wealthy family he didn't receive the best musical education Mm. but he sort of just came through didn't he um there are a lot of people in this world who work the hardest don't they and everything conspires against them and i'm thinking about the sorts of people who will pick bananas coffee well cocoa beans um, all the things that we can buy through fair trade. Okay, tell us about fair trade. Well, I remember when my niece Lucy used to work for Christian Aid and she came and gave a talk once and she told us that the people who own the plantations will purposely make their weighing machines not work properly. So the people who are picking the tea leaves or whatever they're picking have to pick about 10 times as much as they should be doing. You may have seen in supermarkets certain products that have fair trade stamped on them. And this means that the people who pick the cocoa beans or the bananas or whatever have been paid a real wage. Two people who live quite close to us, Jonathan and Judith, have been involved with fair trade for some time. And we asked them to talk about their experience and why it is so important for us all to buy fair trade products. Just to set the scene, We are in our bedroom, looking at our dirty linen basket. 
does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? I'm sure people don't want to hear about our dirty washing, but it's the story behind the basket that we want to share with you. Now, we bought our basket, our Zomba basket, from Tradecraft about 15 years ago, and it's still going strong. We were inspired to buy it, having attended a fair trade conference when a lady called Tawira spoke movingly about a visit she'd made to a rural village in Malawi during a terrible period of extreme famine. She'd gone there to give basket makers an advance payment. Towards the end of her visit, she'd been approached by a destitute man who had pleaded for an advance payment, although he wasn't one of the regular Zomba basket makers. Now, she'd agreed to pay him a small amount on condition that he would have some baskets ready when she came back to the village next. But when she returned, he failed to turn up. Just imagine the extraordinary scene. 360 people stretched out on the hillside in front of Tawira, each with the baskets that they had made. Everyone was there, except one. She asked about the destitute man and learned that after she had left on her previous visit, he had collapsed and died from hunger and fatigue, attempting to carry home the small amount of maize he'd been able to buy for his family. And in front of the crowd of basket makers, she said she cried, but not for him, but for the 360 people in front of her. What would have happened to them? if there had been no order from Tradecraft. Their only hope was not me, she said, not the Malawian government. It was the Tradecraft money that saved those people. Tawira finished by saying to those involved in fair trade, the work you are doing is saving souls throughout the world. You are making the world beautiful through trade. Tradecraft is a fair trade business promoting justice and fairness in trade on behalf of people in some of the world's poorest countries. Through development programmes, they've made a difference to millions of people. Now, finally, well, almost finally, a word from one of the Zomba basket makers, Maxwell. Tradecraft has helped us improve our designs, so now our baskets earn us more money. It has made a big difference to me and my family. We would not have survived without the money I make from basket weaving. Now I can try to save for medicines, clothes and other needs. I have no big dreams for my own life, but I want my children to be educated. The money I earn now will allow that to happen. As an aside... One day we noticed tucked inside our basket a small piece of paper and on it was a name. We assumed the name of the person who had woven it. They were proud that they'd made this fine object. They had been paid a fair amount of money and they gained dignity through making it. So they wanted to put their name inside the basket. When you buy fair trade goods, you make a significant difference to people's lives. Maybe it's not a question of life and death, as in Malawi, but a real difference. So we'd encourage you to look out for the fair trade symbol in shops. What may be a few pence extra for us 
They mean so much to the producer. So there we go. So fair trade doesn't just extend to things like bananas and coffee. You can buy all kinds of fair trade goods, can't you? Absolutely. And if you put that into a Google search engine, you know, you'll find clothes that have been ethically made. So especially at this time of year, folks, if you're thinking about Christmas presents, it's well worth a Google. See what you can pick up that which is fair trade minded. Yeah, they're original. You're not going to see things like this in high street shops. Yeah. Um, they're not going to be sold on Amazon, I don't <laughs> think. Um, and you're going to be doing some good. So it's a real win-win situation. There are people it? who will greatly benefit from the, the money that you're going to spend on Christmas presents other than Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Let's have a song, Paul. What shall we talk about? Um, well, we talked about John Lennon. Well, I wouldn't say that John Lennon was just another star, would you? Ah, <laughs> uh, good segue in. Tenuous link. This yeah. song is called Just Another Star, and it's, it's quite beautiful. Just another star to light the sky just another town to pass us by Just another night to cold and grey Strangers look for shelter, couldn't find a place to stay Just another donkey, warm and brown Just another journey through the town Just another search for somewhere
So we're well into the season of Advent now, aren't we? We are. Christmas is round the corner, isn't it? Chris Burton is going to read a poem. It's called Advent and it was written by a lady who has now died, but she was called Ruth Weaver and she lived in Blagdon in North Somerset. Advent verse. In the first candle of Advent shines the light of crystals in the mine, the rocks, the jewels and the stones, the seashells and our bones. Now the stones are on the earth, waiting for the Christ child's birth. In the second candle of Advent shine the plants and the berries on the vine, the green grass and the lovely tree, and all the flowers that we see. Now the plants are on the earth, waiting for the Christ child's birth. In the third candle of Advent shine the wondrous beasts of every kind, the beasts who tread upon the earth and give their stable for the birth. Now the beasts are on the earth, waiting for the Christ child's birth. In the fourth candle of Advent shine our open hearts, both yours and mine. We can now fill our hearts with love and shining light from heaven above. Now we are on the earth, waiting for Christ child's birth. Thanks to Chris. Now, the Christian story of Advent, of course, is uh, very familiar to us all, but Simon Lewis, our reverend, has had his own perspective on the story, and he's been telling us almost line by line of the story for the last few days, and now we're moving on to his latest ideas. On this eighth day of Advent, I read from chapter 1 of Luke, verses 39 to 41 and 56. Here goes. Soon afterward, Mary got ready and hurried off to a town in the hill country of Judea. She went into Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby moved within her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary stayed about three months with Elizabeth and then went back home. A thought. When alone, feeling the only one who is experiencing what you're experiencing, to discover solace, deep comfort and support from another is so very, very important. Suddenly, you can find joy and wonder again. Here's my take. Wouldn't you hurry? Wouldn't you be eager to be with someone who is also having this unique extraordinary, nay, miraculous episode in their life? I think Mary is rushing off to see Elizabeth with all the feelings of joy and wonder, and doubt is beginning to dwindle. Loneliness felt feared is slowly disappearing. As they meet each other, I wonder what their greeting was like. In the story, Elizabeth's baby moved within her. Yes, we could dismiss this as just an overinflation of the movement of the unborn child at a precise moment in time. But I suspect for both Elizabeth and Mary, who are familiar with other prenatal experiences in Scripture, this movement 
will have been interpreted immediately, giving more certainty to what was happening. Truly now, there is no doubt in either of their minds, and Mary's loneliness will most certainly have gone because of being not only enveloped in Elizabeth's love and care, and vice versa, but also knowing and beginning to truly understand that God is with her. She is never alone. What ordinary mother has not waited with joy for the first stirrings of a child in her womb? The joy of Mary and Elizabeth is the joy of all who look forward with wonder and thankfulness to the birth of a child. The Nativity story is telling us about the joining of this joyful wonder with what is called God's saving work. And it invites ordinary us to consider how the experience of waiting with expectancy, which in fact is what the season of Advent is all about, teaches us the ways of God's gracious, and here is that word again, work in human experience. Let me say that again without all the added bits. The joy and wonder of this story invites ordinary us to consider how the experience of waiting with expectancy teaches us the ways of God's gracious work in human experience. Strip back the tinsel, the glitter, the parties, the overindulgence of celebration, and you find joy is piqued by waiting. Love is disclosed in tenderness and promise. You see, every birth can be seen, I think, as a sign of saving from something, of finding favour, of being blessed, of living with promise, and of realising its fulfilment. Thank you, Simon. Well, it's time to wrap up again. It is. Do you think we've got time for a joke? I think we've got time for a joke. Okay, I like this one. Are you ready for this? What do you call a child who does not believe in Father Christmas? Oh, sad, I would call him. (laughs) Go on, what do you call a child who doesn't believe in Father Christmas? I would call him a rebel without a clause. (laughs) That is very good. Okay, folks, please join us tomorrow and uh, we'll have more Christmas fun and frolics again then. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.